it's Jane Alexander from the leadership stream of Women Count, a Women in Big Data podcast. I'm here today with my co-host Charmaine McGowan and our guest Catherine Nichols. Catherine is a large-scale change executive as well as a mentor to executive and non-executive men and women across the globe. Catherine is passionate about being a female leader and breaking new ground. And it is clear that she has done this her entire career. Catherine has a degree in business from the University of Washington in Seattle, a graduate diploma in project management, and has just finished an internationally recognized leadership and mentoring certificate. Catherine has so much to share on a professional and personal level from this huge range of experience. Her superpower, whether working in change management or mentoring, is helping people be the best they can. I'm so thrilled to be speaking with Catherine today to find out more about the skills she has to facilitate change both within organizations and within individuals. Well, hi, Catherine. Nice to see you. And I have to say, before we start, it's fantastic to see you face to face. And it's even more fantastic to be here in your foreshore apartment. It's just beautiful. So welcome. And thank you so much for having us here. Thanks, Jane. I'm so excited to talk to you both today and to Charmaine as well. It's wonderful to have you here. So be good to explore what we explore today. Thank you, Catherine. I'm so excited to, you know, have you in this podcast. It's going to be an absolute ripper record. I have so many questions. (laughs) Well, fire away. All right. Well, the first thing that strikes me is that you're an organizational change executive working in the space and defense market, and you're also a mentor to executive and non-executive clients around the globe. So in anyone's terms, that's a heavy workload. So I certainly want to talk about how you manage that. Mm -hmm. And obviously you have personal life and family life to manage at the same time. So it'd be great to talk about how you manage all of that. And I Mm -hmm. think you have some unique lessons learnt in that that I think will be valuable to share. But I thought we'd start with just talking about your work, Mm -hmm. firstly in the space and defence industry and then as a mentor, and then we can talk about your strategies. That sounds good. So the first time I've ever worked in the defence and space market. So for me, this has been quite a learning curve over the last little while. I've actually started working in big organisational changes back in 1999. So I've worked in a range of industries and private and public sector. But this is the first time I've been in defence, and it's a high-tech defence company. So My background in analytics and data is really quite handy for this, but my role at the moment is an organisational change executive. So I've been brought in by the CEO. He actually found me. I didn't find the job, which was wonderful. And he's brought me in to help them with some fairly big changes over the next three to four years. I'm a contractor, so I'm there for the next 12 months, but at the moment I'm working and understanding all of the different technologies and different types of products that the defence industry has and pulling together a range of organisational change plans and supporting the senior executives and many other people to achieve what they want to achieve. So from my perspective, it's still in the same sort of swim lane as I've always worked in with big complex change. I love it. And for me, I get to learn about all sorts of things that I didn't know existed. So I get to satisfy my own personal development as well. Okay, so 
You have chosen one of the largest industries to work in. Now, they chose me. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the most complex in terms of driving change. And you're in a position where you really influence. It's like not like you can command someone to do something. And there's multiple people involved in the whole process, and I'm sure multiple opinions. So how do you go about leading in that type of environment? Yeah, so whenever I go into any new environment, I always spend at least the first month listening and learning and understanding the people, understanding the various aspects of the business. I do a lot of sitting back and really making sure that I get a fairly good grasp on what changes that they think they would like to implement. While I'm doing that, I'm establishing all the structures that need to be put in place to enable the change. So I'll be establishing executive leadership groups, the next layer down and and building those relationships. It's a fairly stormy time when I walk into an organisation because I'm a bit of a disruptor. Not that I'm trying to be, but just my presence and the way that I work and, and the way that I'm very collaborative is often quite a different style to what I tend to walk into. So it's fairly obvious that I am a different way of worker when Mm. I walk into the room. So I do have to do a lot of listening. I have to do a lot of building of relationships. There's also a lot of analytical work that goes into me understanding what this thing looks like. But at the same time, I'm fortunate enough to have had so many years understanding psychology and behavior. My first job ever was a gymnastics coach. I started to help people to understand how they could do something they didn't think they could do and then support them all through the learning of that process. So never would I have imagined how handy that skill was. So that helps me to be able to not only establish a connection with somebody, but also to help them to learn to believe what is possible. So that's one skill. The other ones which are really handy and I've often go to uh, some of the things I've learned through mentoring and coaching. People like to put people in other camps. They like to alienate people and that group's different to this group and they're in that branch and they're in that one. So we're we're all different. Do they use like, you know, labels like the Myers-Briggs to kind of, um, you know, I suppose, sort out teams, oh, you know, those people work well with those people, but, you know, don't speak to those people. There's a lot of polarisation, absolutely, in all organisations. And in my work, for us to be able to move forward and make progress, I have to actually close the gap between the extreme viewpoints that most people have Because when you're having a tug of war between two people or two groups, you're just literally going side to side. You're not making any progress. So I was lucky enough to learn quite a few techniques when I did my graduate degree in psychology, which I find work very well, where I emphasize people's similarity to me. So I'm constantly finding what's in common with somebody. I'm constantly thinking and making them feel like I'm right by them, even if they are on the other side of the globe. So you need to look at proximity. And then I'm always making sure that they know that there's anticipation that we will be working together in the future. So I've got all these little hacks that I use when I come in. And once I start to train people in these hacks and that they recognize exactly what I was doing, because what I need to do is I need to move people out of the storm very quickly 
into a collaborative team environment so that we can handle a transformation because it doesn't happen otherwise. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much how I come in. I come in like a little Black Hawk helicopter, jump on the ground and look around, listen a lot, get the structures established and then make sure that the people start to work together through that storming process so that when we've got everything defined and the strategies and the plans are ready, then we start executing. So that's how I start every single time. Okay, I like the analogy. And it's funny, I've been using that for over Mm. a decade and here I am literally in defence. And so sometimes I think maybe those things are not the best way to describe things. So it's only normal for people to resist change. Mm -hmm. And it's also normal for people to dislike people who are trying to impose change on them. So, you know, how do you deal with those personal attacks, I suppose, or situation? I'm sure it happens. So Mm. it happens in many interactions that I have and in some organisations more so than others. I think over time, though, I have begun to learn how to deal with it better. It wasn't a fast process for me. It was literally 20 years of me trying to refine what I do. I think in those situations, for me now, where I am at this time in my career, I've realised it's actually less of a worry for me now because I understand who I am. I understand what my values are and I understand what's mine and what's theirs. So I think, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't have the maturity or the insight or the wisdom to know that a lot of times people have got a lot of things going on in their life and, you know, you can never underestimate what might be happening for them. They also, you know, can misinterpret a lot of things that you say and you do. And I think for me, that will happen all the time. But the difference for me is that now I don't get as offended and upset. It doesn't mean that doesn't happen because I'm human too, but I'm able to go, actually, no, I've done everything I could. I acted with respect. I acted with integrity. I acted with complete compassion and kindness. And therefore, there is nothing more I could have done in that Mm -hmm. circumstance. The other thing that I've found as I've got more experienced is my understanding of emotion and also the fact that people will have emotions. People will be uncomfortable. They will get angry. They will have doubt. They will have a lot of feelings that come up and none of that is in the organisational change methodologies. So fortunately for me, particularly over the last 12 months, I've had to really dig deep into those emotional understandings and realise that I can use those emotions to my benefit and to the benefit of the other person and not in a manipulative way. But for example, doubt can be a massive expander. So if someone's doubtful of the change, I get excited now. I used to get quite disappointed, but now I get excited because with doubt means that you have to dig deeper and look for a better way because you're having to expand your thinking and to be able to find a different solution and a way forward. The other emotion that always comes up is anger. So people get angry when you are asking them to change or their job is changing. They have very strong professional identities. It is very strong, particularly the higher you get, the more attached people are to their professional identities. So now when I see anger, I don't get as scared. I embrace it because it actually provides a fuel for progress. So when I'm able to build some rapport with people, 
understand and acknowledge that they are feeling angry and then be able to help them to use that energy because it is energy to move things forward so there's a lot of things that happen on a day-to-day basis and many times you can't even predict what a day will look like but I think at the base level if you're sure of who you are you know what your values are and you know that you've done your best without being perfect and that's a whole other story glad that you raised that (laughs) yeah so I think any day will be full of conflict it's just how you how you navigate yourself and others through that as well and not take responsibility for everybody else's stuff I think that the lessons that we can all learn in every parts of the the work that we do not just change management so very critical in change management of Absolutely. course but, mm. so it's no secret that defense is very male dominated <laughs> so there's no Tears. point so for a, a woman yes. with uh, masses of red curly hair <laughs> yes you i would do stand out a little bit yeah, stand out. <laughs> so it's just what experience do you have and and how have you dealt with that yeah so fortunately i've had quite a bit of training in it and data so i have had the experience of being often the only woman in the boardroom and you know even at business school back in america 20 odd years ago you know there wasn't a massive amount of women doing that so fortunately i've had that background which has served me quite well in this industry but you're right i'm currently working in an organization that has about 25 percent women and many men who have known each other 20 30 years so it's a long time and it's a strong bond that they have together so i found it quite interesting when i first walked in because many other organizations i find don't have that level of bond and and camaraderie that the people in defense have because they have literally been out in the field in a trench together doing whatever they do and there's lots of things they've done and they've all grown up together moved around the globe together had wives that know each other so they're a very tight-knit community So for me, it has been quite an adjustment to come into defence, not only not knowing the subject matter, but also being a new new kid on the block. And as you said, being a woman with very different dress sense as well than a lot of the defence people. But I think it goes back to the same principles and reverting back to a lot of the qualities that I think we do undervalue as women. So the collaboration, for example, the kindness, the clear communication, the building rapport. So I really go back to the human elements when I meet new men and really try to focus on what are we here for together? Mm -hmm. I will always go up to the highest level of agreement, always. So even if we have nothing in common and I'm searching for something in common, I will go to the highest level which we both want to achieve. So I will do things like that all of the time just to try to establish that working relationship. But nevertheless, my values are often quite stretched in those organizations because i have not been in sorts of situations that they have been and i have to really think to myself okay how can i make that more appealing to me personally so that i can understand and empathize where they're coming from and i think you know there is nothing like acknowledging someone and accepting who they are and really treating them like a person. So I find those techniques are far more superior than any any others that I can possibly imagine. What about massaging their ego? Does that help? 
that doesn't hurt on occasion. Yes, you're quite right. So men do have a very strong sense of self. And I think they've probably grown up having to prove that they are who they are and and that you know they have to come across quite confident so there is absolutely no question that I often have to come up against some fairly large egos and so that becomes quite an interesting maneuver if you like because there is nothing that can be done in an organizational change sense if you're battling with an ego because it's all about looking good and avoiding looking bad and being right and being wrong So those sorts of behaviors do not help with collaboration and progress and teamwork and things like that. So I find that, yes, sometimes I have to do a lot of stroking of egos and let them know that it's safe here. I'm not a threat. And sometimes being kind is not going to work, right? So I've had to, as I've got more and more senior, to really engage in some fairly firm exchanges with men with large egos because it is not possible sometimes, and you choose when you do it, sometimes it is not possible to continue being kind when someone is continuously disrespecting you. And it's not okay to let somebody disrespect you. And that is where my skills that I have honed particularly very recently around boundaries come in Mm. and that I'm very clear that that's not okay and I have to sometimes be quite forceful from what I would not naturally be as a woman and the trick is though to not make it who you are either so I can't make that my default way of operating because I know that that will not help with the change and the achievement of the goals. So I am not the kind of woman now who will sit down and be the good girl and the nice girl when you don't have to be. If someone is disrespecting me, I will fight back. In words, I don't mean with my fists, obviously, (laughs) or weapons or anything like that, so don't think that. But I will use language that they use at me back so that they hear me. And I will get to their level so that they understand that I've got their number in a way without being too aggressive, but without being a pushover too. And that is a very fine line to play. Mm, it's a it's a skill to it do is. that. Mm. And I don't get it right all the time. And sometimes I don't fight the battle because sometimes it's not the right time. It's not a female trait, is it? Not at all. I think we, as women, have learnt to be nice, kind, good girl, all of those things, which I think do have a place, absolutely. But that's not balanced. We need to be balanced as well. So we need to have the good and the wholesome and all the rest of it. But we also need to be able to express ourselves, our anger, what we're feeling, what that's not okay, put to boundary in place. I think there is not enough training for us women that we can speak up for ourselves we can be firm and direct if we need to be and that's okay because Mm. that's a balanced person it's better to be balanced than completely a doormat agreed absolutely agreed so when we spoke before this podcast and you talked about all the different things that you do I didn't see the connection between the change work that you do and mentoring now I see it. That you've explained the yeah. through the change work and the the ability to read people and motivate people and understand their their motivations and mm. things like that. So I could absolutely see the same skills that you need. 
So I wanted to talk more Mm -hmm. about your mentoring work. So how did you get into that sort of work? So I think, well, as I mentioned, I started coaching when I was 14 years old. So I've always sort of lent towards those things. And then in my roles as organizational change or project manager or any of those ones that I've been over the years, I've always ended up mentoring people or younger people who were coming through. When I was at IBM, I worked in a young women's camp for a week where I took a group of underprivileged girls into a camp for a week and showed them how to build a website and I'm not technical so I was learning the wizard as I was going but for me it was the most fulfilling thing to be able to see a group of girls who were completely disenfranchised at the beginning and had never been on a computer and this was 20 years ago right and then to bring them through the design process of building a website we called it glamazons because I had to make it fun for teenage girls who really didn't care And then to see them blossom and to present in front of other people and be who they thought they couldn't be. So I guess that's why the mentoring has really appealed to me because I can help people to see who they could be and I can give them access to that because I can see it. And I've always been able to see it. I could spot talent as a gymnast. I can spot talent in an organization and I can sort of see where someone would be naturally gifted. So for me, it's a wonderful thing to be able to mentor. So I've been doing it for a long time, but this year I've decided to get certification and to get global certification and to recognize the skill that I have been using for so long. So literally last night I did my last hour of my certification. Congratulations. Thank you. So it's 50 hours, which is quite a lot of mentoring to achieve. So I've now almost got the certificate and I just love it. And I love the fact that I never know who I'm going to meet. And I met Charlene through that thank way. Thank you as so well. much, Catherine. Seriously, I reckon it's changed my life, really. Oh my gosh, thank you. Charmaine <laughs> often talks about the lessons she learns yeah. and the different approaches Particularly to life. Particularly those boundaries lessons. Yes, that's mm. been one I've been working on quite a bit too. But yeah, so I find I love the fact that I don't know who I'm going to get. I mentor people from all parts of the globe. I also mentor in all sorts of topics. So one day I might be talking to a lady who wants to get a digital strategy for her small business and that sort of thing. And then the next day I'm speaking with a senior executive who wants to make a massive life transition out of his executive role into another one. And I think my favorite clients are the young women who I want to build up and help them to, you know, navigate this process of career, family, life, whatever it might be. And then also the senior executives who are struggling with being able to survive in the environments that are currently existing for executives at the moment. You are a slave to your job. You work 24-7. You're expected to deliver 42,000 times more than what was possible 20 years ago. Turnaround times are unrealistic. The number of stakeholders is complex. I was managing 20 vendors, four organizations. You know, it's, it's a very complex world. And then you're managing COVID as well. So for me, being able to help them with a little bit more balance in their lives and, and also a direction for where they'd like to head and using what they've already done is so fulfilling and to hear people then come back to me and say oh my gosh I'd never thought that was possible for me I just love it and it really invigorates me so it's quite a different environment to the organizational change executive gig because there while you are wanted because you've 
been purchased to do that role, most people don't want you there and most people aren't willing to change. So for me, the mentoring fills my cup because I can get the fulfillment and I can see how I'm helping. They want to be there. And I think for me, it's been the most beautiful blessing this year to be able to certify as a mentor and meet all the people that I've met and help them in whatever way I possibly could. Now, if it's possible, could you give the top three things that you would recommend to women going into leadership? What advice would you give? So I think number one, which I didn't realise until this year was so important, was understand yourself. Get to know yourself really, really well. Get to know who you are, what your values are and how you will live them. They will guide you in all the decisions you make. What your needs are, it's okay to want to feel heard, acknowledged, supported, wanted. It's okay. Acknowledge that. Know what your needs are. Make sure that you understand what brings you energy. Because a lot of workplaces, for me included, are really draining places. So the more you understand who you are, where you're headed and what you need for you to be nourished enough to be showing up in those environments as the best version of you, the better your career will be. Because then when there are other people, which they do, throwing you know grenades on your parade, you know where you're headed. You know who you are, you're willing to learn, and you're able to then, through the boundary stuff, be able to navigate your way through whatever career choice you make. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be able to go in a different direction. And I think we often don't feel enough courage to be able to stick into a different direction. It's okay because it will end up giving you what you need in the end. And that's the benefit of 20 odd years of experience. In my early 20s, there is no way that I would have even understood how those early experiences would have shaped me and taught me and guided me into who I am today. So I think as I've got older, I have really had some perspective about the fact that if I know who I am, if I know where I'm headed and I'm able to interact with people in the best way that I possibly can, move in silence. Don't advertise it. Just know where you're going. And it makes your life so much more stable because as women, we have all sorts of instability in our lives. And I have experienced that. I have had marriage breakups health problems, relocations, sick children. You know, I've been in the middle of a go live and put my son in a Uber to get to hospital. You know, there's all that stuff that happens when you are a woman and you are looking after so many people. But I think my primary message is look after you, look Mm -hmm. after you, know who you are, know where you're going and know how you're going to get there. And also who you need to help you. I don't think we get enough help as women and I don't think we get enough support and I think it's really important to know who are the people that are the best people to support you, not drill holes in your bucket, but support you and be able to build you up and help you along the way. And I have been so fortunate because when I was in IBM many, many, many years ago, decades ago, I had a group of women who are exceptional leaders and still are. And I was fortunate enough to be nurtured by them and encouraged by them for, you know, five and a half odd years of my first career out of business school in the U- America. And I'm still friends with them today. 
and they have mentored me indirectly or directly. They have been a sounding board. They have hugged me when I'm sick. Been your career wing wing women. They have been my wing women. I think we underestimate the power of the wing woman. I think you really need to have your tribe and it's so important to have that support structure so that you can keep giving and doing what you want to do and what you love to do. So hopefully that's answered your question. Yes, absolutely. And what I can see here is that you actually take your own advice because we did spend some time talking about how you look after yourself and this has been driven through circumstances in your life and you realised that you had to change your life to deal with things. Absolutely. And I I think it would be really good if we could talk about that as well. So Yeah, so about 10 years ago I got very sick. I had a scrape with ovarian cancer actually. So it was a fairly scary time. I was a consultant and I was very tired all the time I wasn't listening to my body I was very busy at work and I was working 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 I was a mother to a young child so I think my son at the time was about 18 months old so I was a young mother working and consulting just trying to deliver and all of a sudden was fainting at work was popped in the ambulance and off I went to hospital then over the next few months had to figure out what was wrong with me I kept working through it because I thought I can't let anyone down it's not a great people pleaser people pleaser Mm. absolutely got to be liked making sure that I'm achieving what I need to achieve so anyway over a period of months I discovered that I did have a tumor the size of a football and had to go and get it surgically removed so within seven days of that happening I was in hospital and had to do that so after that I was actually never quite the same health wise and I would go to the doctors and say I don't feel right I really don't have any energy my hormones are going off the roof and nobody even wants to mention the word ovary to you know anybody let alone let's talk about hormones it's often quite a taboo topic particularly in a very male dominating consulting organization which is where I was so I had to use those words for the first time and anyway over the course of the 10 years I had to be scanned every six months and I was okay but never quite okay So I had thought that my journey with that was over and I was fortunate that I never had full bone cancer and have radiation or any of those things. But nevertheless, my body did not cope with the illness whatsoever. And then this past year in November, I got the dizziness again and the fainting at work. And I thought I was just low in iron and zinc and I needed to take a break and all of that kind of thing. So I kind of kept again pushing through And then I went through a general practitioner and she said, I think we better scan you again. I thought she was being a bit ridiculous and a bit overzealous with her action. But anyway, luckily I did because there was more tumours and this time a 10 centimetre tumour on my left ovary. And so I then on the spot decided that I would not work through it this time, that that was not going to be a healthy strategy because there is often not good results with a second round of those sorts of things. And I think, you know, as women, we should be more aware of our bodies and how our hormones work and our and our physiology, and I definitely didn't know. So I resigned on the spot. It was the most devastating news that you could possibly imagine, and ironically, the first call I made was to my organisational change manager, and I sobbed like you just wouldn't imagine. So she um, then raced over here and sat with me for the day because I was in absolute devastation. Anyway, I then, as I do, decided that I was going to do something about it because I wasn't going to let it happen to me. I was going to do what I could. 
So within a space of a few days, I had researched a lot of things. I had assembled a global team. I had found a bunch of people to support me. So similar to a project in my regular job, I established the team. I mobilized the team. I told everybody what their roles would be down to, could you play the funny person, please, so that I can have some fun? (laughs) Because that was not a fun time in my life. And I assembled a massive group of people to help me. So Then over the next four weeks, I spent a lot of time working on my body and and really trying to reduce the tumor. And I ended up doing that. I ended up shrinking the tumor before the operation occurred and then had the operation and had many, many months of recovery after that. So this year has been spent with me understanding my physiology, understanding my biology. I have completely changed the way I look after myself. I have changed the nutrition, so I can be so strict with what I eat. I'm very strict with what I drink. I've maintained my meditation every morning. I've been doing that for about 13 years now, so I do that. I also have support structures to help me to be able to be well. I move regularly. I go to yoga. I've discovered yin yoga. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I'm also just started personal training. So for me now, every Sunday I sit down and I look at my diary for the seven days and and I sit there and I plan my week and I put my things in first. So the schedule starts with the things I need in my life to keep myself healthy. And that includes cooking every week, making sure I know what to do. So every week I do that and then the rest of my life fits around it. I'm working part time, so I have Wednesday off. I make sure that I have client days, rest days. I'll have work from home. I'll have at the client. And I'm so in tune now with my body and my values and what I need to be well, that now if I have a wobble and I do, because I love my work and I get so carried away, I love it. So I have to really have a good talking to myself and say, hang on a minute, you're tired again. You need to rest So I build in a lot of self-care now. I go for massages, I go for facials and you don't have to do that, but that's what works for me because it gives me energy. So I make sure now that I not only give to others, but that I get in return for myself. And I've had to learn to be a much better friend to myself than I've ever been in my life. I'm very hard on myself and I'm not that nice to myself either. When you really, you know, if you're going to be honest, you Don't talk to yourself in a nice way. Why didn't you do it that way? You should have known better. You know, all of those things that go on in your head and they go and you're not enough and all of that. So I have to really listen to those things and make sure that I'm treating myself much more kindly now and that I'm responding to my needs so that I can be the best version of what I am. And it takes a lot of consistency and a lot of discipline. And it is all those tiny actions every single day that enable me to be well and to be productive. It sounds to me like that, you know, when you're on an aeroplane, they say you've got to put your mask on first before you you put your child's on. It's, it's pretty much that. 100%. And I never realized how important it was to, to do that for yourself. And the benefits of that are that you have the energy to do what you want to do. You know who you are, so you're feeling more comfortable in your skin. And you're heading in a direction the way, where you want to go. I've put together a 20-year plan for my life. I don't need to advertise that to anybody. I just know that I would like to achieve a bunch of things and not in a way that's going to, you know, make me sick, 
but I know where I'm headed in all areas of my life. That's not to say that things don't change and surprises come and other things which are even better happen, but I'm working on that. And I work on that every day. I do four goal-based actions every morning. And I say, what am I doing for myself? What am I doing for my health? What am I doing for my wealth? And what am I doing for my relationships that are going to be helping me to get where I'm going? And they're small things. Make a call. (laughs) Go for a walk. Drink more water. It's incredible how those small things build very solid, stable foundations. And I think in these times with the world so uncertain and COVID and the fear, if you can have that stability in your own life and your own body, then you're able to cope far more effectively with anything that is thrown at you. And life does throw things at you. I still have life throwing things at me work-wise, personally, you know, all sorts of things, but I know what I need to keep myself on track. And the rest of it is easier when you know that. They're very wise words, very <laughs> wise words. And we can all learn from that. doesn't matter what age we are. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I know it's very, very personal. personal. But I appreciate yeah. you talking about it because we can all learn from that. And, you know, I, I personally mm. I can a lot. So, yeah. So and thank I, you. I think that you're welcome. But I think as women, we pretend we're not women. We pretend we're not women. We pretend we don't, we're not a mother. We don't, we pretend we don't have children. It's just not reality. We have different bodies. We have different life experiences. We have different stages in our life. We need to accept that and learn about what it's like so that we can navigate this thing called femininity throughout our journey and not pretend you're not a woman. Don't pretend you're not a mother. Don't pretend you're not who you are. We're not men. One of our other um, people that we interviewed talked about bringing your whole self to work. Absolutely. So you're echoing. Absolutely. Unprompted, you're echoing (laughs) the same thing. So I totally agree. Mm. And I'm not. I'm not bagging men. I'm not men Mm. and masculinity and whatever you identify with. And I'm not going on a gender thing here. I'm talking about the energy that you have within you. So whether you're either way. And that's okay. I'm just saying that for me personally, I have pretended that I'm not a mother, a wife, a, a woman to try to get the job done. And I think that that is hiding half of you at least and is not a very balanced way to be living if you are not bringing, as you said, your whole self to work. And that includes all of your female strengths and characteristics and traits. Well, thank you for that. Now, before we finish, I understand that you are still open for taking in uh, new customers with your mentoring program. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to take a bit of a break over Christmas so that I can enjoy the holidays. But in January, I'll get started again. And typically people just contact me through LinkedIn at the moment as I'm setting up a range of other things. So that's probably the best way to see me. I will be charging for that service, of course. I do do a little bit of pro bono work, particularly with young women. I have a couple that I have a bit of a sweet spot for, so I do it with them free. But yeah, so you can you contact me via LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. And then I'll send you a link and you can book yourself through an app that I have so you'll be able to get to me either an hour or a half hour session, depending on what you might like. Great. So it's Catherine Nichols on LinkedIn's Catherine with a C. Yes, and a Y, no E. So you might have 
answered this question, but I'd like to just conclude with asking the question that we ask everyone, Yep. is knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self? I think I would tell my younger self to be kinder to myself. I think that I have had such high expectations of myself. I have wanted myself to be perfect all of the time, achieve a lot. And I'm not saying I regret achieving everything I achieved. I don't regret it for a minute. Give me a goal and I'll go for it. Don't you worry about that. But I think that I wish I had have enjoyed myself more in the process. I wish I had have liked myself more in the process and indeed loved myself more in the process. And then I had have cut myself a little bit of slack and slowed down a little bit, slowed down actually quite a lot at some points in my life and just navigated a little bit more gently. Because being hard on yourself, treating yourself like an absolute enemy is not an enjoyable way to live. It really isn't. And if you are going to be here, which many of us are, and you, and when you're faced with the prospect of literally organising your will, you get to a very, very deep place where you think what really matters. And I think for me, when I had to face that this year again, I realized that I wish I had have been kinder. I wish I had have, you know, not had people that were tearing me down in my life as much. I wish I had have been more gentle and more respectful to myself and looked after myself far greater than what I probably did. I've just personally you know valued this conversation so much and I I really appreciate you sharing so much and I know that uh, our listeners will feel the same so thank you so thank you for helping us and thank you you know so much for your time it's an absolute pleasure thank you for sharing your journey it will it will touch a lot of people out there I hope it can help and that's why I did this because I just I would love to be able to help people to see that you know, you can give yourself a little bit of a break. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. And you don't have to get to the point that I did where you are completely broken in order for you to rebuild yourself and become who you are. And hopefully there is at least one person who can take something from what we've discussed today and can navigate their way through life a little bit easier than perhaps I have done. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Women Count podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode and would like to support us, please subscribe to the show and provide a star rating. Watch out for new episodes on leadership and data science. And if you want to connect with the tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womeninbigdata.org. Bye-bye for now.